As always, it is my joy to be a part of what we do on Sunday morning. We preach. We talk about preaching. I remember back when we had the little eight-point record system and we had the little envelopes. We filled that all out. And on there, there was one of those that you checked. You stayed for preaching. Stayed for preaching. Uh, among other things that you did, you checked that one. And so at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, we all came together, and about uh, 11.30, uh, we began to preach. And uh, if you did your homework and you studied as you should, you'd be through by 12 o'clock. We didn't always make that. I had one church in South Carolina that was on the rail, main railroad, the Southern Railroad going from Charlotte to Columbia. And the pastor train came through at five minutes till 12. And if I wasn't done by then, well, there were no souls saved after the train went by. It was just that sort of thing. But this is a time of preaching. But today we're going to talk about preaching in a different kind of way. And I want you to turn with me to the scripture that we'll use today. It's found in Matthew, the fifth chapter, and beginning with the 13th verse, a familiar one to you. Our pastor used it just recently. I don't intend to improve on what he said, but I'm going to share some other ideas from it. So let us stand together and read together that section. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under the bushel, but on a, on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Let us share together in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for these moments as we come. We ask that you'll help us to understand that you have called us to be more than just saints or Christians or believers, but we are all called to be preachers. And so we ask your blessings on this time as we share. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the joys that we have is in preaching is to be able to stand up and begin. And we have something that people expect us to say. Our voices may rise and fall with a certain kind of cadence, understandably for the orator, not necessary, of course, for the production of the truth. But we do those things because that's preaching. And we've heard all our lives that preaching is the way that we share the gospel. 
The evangelical church in America, if not around the world, is known for its preaching, perhaps, more than anything else. It has made that a centerpiece of its activity and its life. But you see, there's more to it than that. There is the Great Commission that we miss sometimes in our reading so swiftly through it. In Matthew, the 28th chapter, it talks about that. That is the time when Jesus instructed his disciples to be more than just proclaimers with the voice. When he said to them that they were to go into all the world and to teach them all the things that he had taught them. Now, if we take that from what it must mean, it must say to us that there's more than just going out. We talk about the Great Commission as missionary work and sending missionaries to distant places or having a revival or a citywide campaign or getting on the radio or even preaching on the street. We talk about that as being evangelism. But there's two sides to that. Jesus did not come just to die on the cross. He came also to model kingdom citizenship. What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom? Well, a citizen of the kingdom is one that carries out those teachings which Jesus had taught his disciples, what he had said about life, what he had said about poverty, what he had said about the weak, about the hurting, those in pain, those suffering, what he said about something else except just a lost world out there. He taught about that as well. He modeled for all of us kingdom citizenship. For those of us who are in that section which, uh, in which we define our beliefs about our future and the, the time of God's presence among us, we believe that the kingdom started when Jesus came. The kingdom started. And those who participate as king people have a citizenship that is related to their change of life and purpose and acceptance of Jesus as Savior and Lord. It is a defining moment when we walk the aisle, accept Christ as personal Savior, give a personal kind of testimony as to what has happened, and follow in obedience into the waters of baptism. That is a defining moment in that experience of kingdom citizenship. We are a part of that. You see, evangelism is just, just half of that Great Commission. Preaching out there is just half of that Great Commission. Going to a lost world out there with this truth of eternal life is just half of the commission. The other half rests upon the shoulders of those who claim kingdom citizenship, reflected by who we are and what we say and how we act and how we hurt and how we laugh. Citizenship, you see, in the kingdom is applied for it. 
I remember when I applied for it. Applied for my citizenship papers, they say. Just a young boy, blue bib overalls. But I picked up that day my citizenship papers, a part of the kingdom. And then the hard work began. The hard work began when I became a citizen of the kingdom because it required something of me. And the truism of the fifth chapter of Matthew and the 13th verse became for me the challenge of every day to be the salt to be the salt. Just what does it mean to do that? Well, it means a whole lot of things. And we're going to talk about that. Some of them may not be so happy for you to talk to about and remember, but we're going to do some of it this morning. We have plenty of time, in fact, a whole lot of time for the way I usually do it. But don't worry about that. I learned a long time ago after years of being in the pulpit that my sermons are just like a train. I can put the caboose in anywhere. <laughs> well, Pastor, I meant to talk to you about that sometime too. <laughs> what does it mean to be the salt? What does that mean? You see, salt gives food a special kind of taste. If it doesn't have a salt, we say it's flat, sort of flat. Salt, you see, gives food texture, personality, really, color. It gives it life. Otherwise, it's flat. The Christian life is like that, too. Kingdom citizenship means being salt to a world out there. Well, some of you are saying, well, what does that old man know about all that? Old, been through the, the mill, stumbles around, can't have see, can't have hear. Past his zenith. Let me just tell you something. I never had a zenith. There never was a time when I was acclaimed. I never had a zenith. I began in those early years stumbling along in my preaching, concerned about how little I knew, worried that folks would misunderstand me because of my plainness. But people were good to me. Little small churches, as the pastor talked about, were willing to take a chance on me and the princess. Little country churches out on dirt roads. But they were good to us. And they let me learn and practice. It helped me send the preacher boy to school and college. 
and I was glad for that. And even still, we go back to those churches that we were pastors of 50 years ago. And they welcome us back for homecomings and things like that. People that were good to us. We began to sprinkle the salt. But what does it mean to do that? You see, preaching is, is easy if you take the polemic approach in your face, take it or leave it kind of, of preaching. That's easy. We don't have a very good track record on acceptance of that. Apologetics is the other side of it in which we reason together, talk about our situations in life and the struggles through which we pass, a willingness to struggle alongside of those others who struggle too, a willingness to be more than just a proclaimer, a preacher, but a liver living out being salt. By what we do, we give our witness. I believe that Christian citizenship lifestyle is the church's most fervent and effective voice. How we live. We may proclaim all kinds of things, but if we do not live it, it falls flat, has no life to it. All across America today, there is a, a measurable decline in participation in the evangelical church, not just the evangelical, let me correct that, the church in general. And part of the reason for that, they tell us, those sociologists who study the rise and fall of events as they apply to human experience, they tell us the reason is they look at us and scratch their heads because the way we live does not match the way we talk. If I have done my homework in studying in that field of sociology, I believe that is a center of our decline. We're preaching more than we've ever preached before. There is more preaching now than there ever was. Radio, television, printed, street corners, revivals, churches. But when we open those doors and pass out there into the street, into the economy of our society, we somehow forget those times of prayer of bowed head, of quiet thinking, of lofty hymns, and great preaching. We let it pass us by. But Jesus challenges us to the time in which we live that we do better than that. The lifestyle 
as I said, is the strongest witness we have. But we want to think about what Jesus said. What did Jesus do? How did he act? What was his reaction to the poor? What was his reaction to the weak, the mourning, the hurting? What was his reaction to a needy world around him? He touched that one who would live again. He called out for an emptying tomb. He reached over and touched a child. He lifted up those who could not see. He hurt when they hurt. If we were to take the Jefferson Bible, if you don't know something about that, uh, Thomas Jefferson was a deist, and uh, uh, there were some things in the New Testament he didn't like, and so he, he decided that he would have it reprinted, and he would leave out some of the things that he didn't agree with, and so he did that. Jefferson Bible's available, incidentally, if you wanted to buy copies of it, even today. He cut out the miracles. That was, didn't have to have that to try to explain that, and then he cut out some of the other things that were uh, just sort of part what happened in society those days and left that alone and took just the, what we call the red letters in the Scripture. Well, he bypassed some important things in doing that, but he left some of the red letters for us as well. There's nothing wrong with that. He also thought perhaps that if he was just the right kind of person that Perhaps he might come back again. In one of his letters, he talks about that. Maybe he'd have a second chance in coming back and have a second chance at doing that. No, no. There's not going to be a second chance. Though, if there is a second chance, I want to come back as a grandpa. That's about as good as it gets. I remember our little... Uh, little grandson, the first to come along. He was probably two or two and a half, something like that. And I was sitting um, in the big chair in the great room and uh, reading a magazine or, oh no, studying my Bible. <clears throat> but the little fellow was playing down on the carpet down there with his toys and a little car or something like that. He wasn't talking to me, and I wasn't talking to him. He gets up, comes over to the chair where I am, crawls up in my lap, doesn't say a word, doesn't even make eye contact, climbs up in my lap, hugs my neck, kisses me on the cheek, climbs down, goes back out, Keeps on playing. Doesn't say a thing. Heaven's going to have to work overtime to beat that. <laughs> but you're not going to come back. You're not going to have a chance at that. Doesn't work that way. You see, there is this opportunity only for kingdom citizenship. Not everybody has made application. I wish they had. But those who have 
have a responsibility as salt. And there's something we need to say about what it is. It means being honest to our convictions. The church has gotten soft on sin. We don't like to call sin sin anymore. It, uh, it's disruptive of our fellowship, you know. And it might perhaps offend somebody if we call sin sin. Instead, we have moral misjudgments. And uh, we've, uh, we've got locker talk. And we just had a, a lapse of ethics. And the higher up they are in our organizations of politics and religion and business, the less we say. That's the good old boy club. But sin is sin. It's not a moral misjudgment, it's sin. But we can smooth that over, of course, if they're important people or they're a special high-caliber athlete or a businessman worth millions. But sin is sin. Immoral actions are sin. That's sin. Vulgar, filthy language is sin. My mother taught me to talk. Probably your mother taught you. Remember, Daddy was busy working. My mama didn't talk, teach me that language. And she didn't teach you either. We need to call sin for what it is. We bypass that. Living together outside of marriage is sin. It's not the, the way things are done these days. It's sin. And men, fathering a child out of wedlock doesn't make you a man. It makes you a sinner. The salt of the earth. With the salt, you see. And Jesus talks about if you're going to be salt, be salt. If we're serious about our witness, we'll get serious about our actions about our words, about our feelings about people. There is a penalty for sin. Always is. And some of those sins will haunt us the rest of our lives. And you'll pay and pay and pay. There's a little side way we can describe that. That's, that's called the, uh, the law of unintended consequences. The law of unintended consequences. Let me push over on another side of that and, talk, and explain something like that in science, for instance. Plutonium-239 transitions to uranium-235. It has a safe storage life 
of 10 to the ninth power. That's a billion years. And we're storing it out at Yucca Flats in Nevada, down 5,000 feet below the, the rock. It'll be a billion years before it'll have a safe life about it in which you can approach it 10 meters away without damage, unintended consequences. We didn't intend for that to happen. When they insert those isotopes into your blood to look through those x-rays, the end product of that is stored in Yucca Flats. It'll be a billion years before man can get close to it again. And sin is like that. You pay and pay and pay. But what does it mean to be a citizen and live out with carefulness the responsibility of citizenship? It means that we hurt with those who hurt. We mourn, for instance. It talks about that in, in the earlier ch verses of chapter 5 in, in Matthew. We're humble, not puffed up, not real proud of ourselves all the time. Sometimes we get like that. Some folks talk about their accomplishments and what they've done well and how fast they've They've risen in, in their work or how great the business is because they've done it and how because of their being at the helm of things that's been successful. And we talk about our, what we've done in, in school and good grades and all that. Well, I, I can do that. Not everybody's done it, but I finished college in four terms. Just brag about that a little bit. Four terms. Not everybody's done that. Four terms. Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan. And that's where some of the rest of us are, too. But we're called to live out the experience so that the world can see us and we preach that gospel. We bypass the, the time that we failed and struggled to make amends for those failures, to fill in the holes, as I say. We thirst after righteousness. We're pure in heart, and we have no evil thoughts. We're peacemakers. That is, we're a calming influence where we are. Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, he talked about that when he said that he pressed for the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. I don't know any, anyone that's arrived yet. Not anyone. You see, the true believer keeps on trying, keeps on working, keeps on pressing, knowing that there's always an upper level 
which is yet not attained. Who am I? Well, I'm just me. What is my witness? It's just what I give. I can embellish that. I can improve it. I can spend some time in prayer and Bible study. I can hone my skills in witnessing. But most of all, I can live this life as a witness. Asking forgiveness, you see, is what it all means. The shame is not everybody has applied for citizenship. Of all the saddest things in all the world, is that of the rich young ruler. He stood finally after elbowing his way through the crowd, face to face with the master Galilean. And then what he was told, what the requirements were for kingdom citizenship, he turned and walked away unmarked, unheralded, unknown into a crisis eternity. The saddest of all Scripture is the account of his rejection. Citizenship has to be applied for. That opportunity is going to come this morning. But for the others, there is that promise for those who are citizens there's their promise. There's uh, this promise, not just today, but tomorrow. Whatever God has planned for me is all right. I'm not asking for a second chance. Just looking forward to the first chance there, when I too became become a part of those who uh, turned and have in their hand citizenship papers for the kingdom. And when I, when I go, I may go with all the rest of us in that great time of invitation when the dead in Christ rise first. And we ascend to the heavens like birds in circle flight. Maybe there. But if not, when my time comes and I cross that imperceptible barrier that separates that life from this one, then I too will loose these surly bonds of earth and fly with laughter silvered wings sunward through tumbling sun-split clouds to the promise of his for me and do a hundred things of which I've never dreamed.
And when I get there, I'll hear his voice. I'll have my papers in my hand, my citizenship papers. And I'll hear his voice. And he's going to say, Russell, good morning. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these moments that you have allowed us to share. We ask now that you would speak to our hearts. And for those who don't know you, who have yet to take those papers as their own to become citizens of the kingdom, would you give them courage this morning for the invitation time? For others who need to rededicate their lives and repurpose their intentions, give them courage too to step out and make decision. Meet us here, Lord, as we come for the time of decision. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand, please? Now I belong to Jesus. Do you know, do you know that he knows you? Do you belong to him? Let me pray with you this morning. If you do not have that assurance and you want to come to Christ, step out and come forward. I'd love to pray with you about that today. You know, this passage he's had us look at this morning, uh, there's a danger in being a kingdom citizen of salt being corrupted, of light being concealed. Have you corrupted your salt? Are there things in your life that are messing up your witness when it comes to your kingdom citizenship? Or maybe you're just not telling anybody about it. You're concealing your light. Folks, the people of God need to repent of these things. As Russell has talked about sin this morning, we talk about the sin out there, but... Let's think about the sin of the body of Christ concealing their witness and corrupting their witness. Are you guilty? Am I guilty of that sin?